Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Great episode today. Jason Inman, Ashley Robinson, a power couple in the comic culture. They have just released uh, their first comic book, Jupiter Jet. You might know them from their video work all over the place. They do videos for Collider, uh, reviewing film and television, particularly Star Trek. They've been doing the Star Trek Discovery review show with the uh, Word Balloon buddy, uh, Rob Meyer Burnett. And I've enjoyed every episode and review that they've done. Uh, We are eight episodes in. Are we eight? Yes. And uh, number nine is coming up, the fall cliffhanger. Uh, but uh, we're eight episodes in, so I figured it was time to talk to them about Star Trek because as I've gotten to know them uh, this summer and fall, they are huge Star Trek fans. We all have that in common. Star Trek Discovery continues to fascinate me, frustrate me in some ways. Uh, I can't deny the enjoyment I get and the anticipation every Sunday night for a brand new episode of Star Trek. I've been jonesing for that since Enterprise left the air. Uh, The J.J. Abrams movies have been okay, but, you know, they only come up once every couple of years. And uh, it's uh, great to be able to talk about Star Trek again in the now. Uh, it's my Walking Dead. It's my Game of Thrones. I can't help it. You're going to hear a lot more uh, Star Trek talk on uh, the, the days and uh, weeks ahead as we hit this uh, fall hiatus. Because I've got a lot of uh, people I want to talk to about it that are also knowledgeable Star Trek fans. So it's going to come up in conversation. I hope to talk to Rob Burnett um, once the finale airs, I've got a conversation coming up in just a couple days with Sarah Gatos uh, that, again, was recorded after the eighth episode, but before the fall finale. So that likely will post um, at the beginning of the weekend, probably Friday. But uh, it's great to talk to Jason and Ashley, not only about Star Trek, but about Jupiter Jet, their new comic from Action Labs. Uh, they tell us uh, about their own first comic book pitfalls and the things that they tried to do to spread the word. Uh, to get this book, and you will hear a lot about that in this conversation on Word Balloon. They had a Kickstarter to help fund the comic. Uh, luckily, Action Lamp did pick it up. It's going to be uh, a five-issue miniseries, uh, at least to begin with. But as they say, they've got a lot of ideas and would love to uh, create a few more volumes of uh, Jupiter Jet. It's set in the 1930s, very rocketeer in its own way, but we've got a teenage uh, female in the 1930s with a jetpack, her very uh, smart, precocious brother, and uh, gangsters, uh, it's a it's a great backdrop, and it seems to be diesel punk, my favorite kind of retro science fiction punk, where uh, you know it's it's post steampunk, it's that uh, age of flight and uh, early gasoline propelled uh, vehicles in the air. It's the pre jet age, if you will, and uh, that period fascinates me. It has uh, since watching old uh, movies from uh, Poverty Row, Monogram Pictures, and the like back in uh, the 30s. We used to get those on Sunday afternoons or really late at night, and Turner Classic Movies still cranks them out as well. So uh, I think it's a great backdrop for action. And uh, it's it works. It's a really fun series. And uh, like I said, they gave me the first issue. Um, I'm, I'm a fan, and I absolutely recommend it. So it'll be a fun conversation with Ashley Robinson and Jason Inman on today's Word Balloon. 
As always, War Balloon is brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, League, for your support. Lots of new people uh, jumping on uh, the bandwagon in October and already here in November, and it means a lot. Thank you. I appreciate the fact that uh, you, you all think that uh, Word Balloon is uh, worthy of your attention and it adds to your appreciation of the comics culture. That's what I'm trying to do here with these interviews. And if you think uh, you're getting a good bang for your uh, freedom uh, as far as Word Balloon, it's free. It will always be free. But if you want to help support the cause, is it worth the price of a comic book to you monthly? You know, that that kind of thing. Go to uh, wordballoon.com, click on the Patreon ad, or go to patreon.com slash wordballoon if you want to subscribe and uh, help me out getting to conventions, updating the equipment, and uh, hopefully presenting to you uh, a fun way and insight into the comics culture that maybe you don't get from just reading the comic books. And, uh, you know, I was a big fan of the comic book magazines as I was uh, growing up, uh, Amazing Heroes and Comics Interview and certainly the Comics Journal. And uh, that's what I try to give you on Word Balloon, an audio version of that, Uh, you know, an extended uh, comic convention panel. And I think hopefully more insight than what we get uh, just in those 45-minute convention panels or... The little blurb we get in the Diamond, you get a little bit more of that. And also, if you're an aspiring creator, I think uh, Word Balloon provides a lot of good information uh, to help uh, creators uh, avoid the pitfalls uh, when they are making their first comics. So it's wordballoon.com. You can click on the Patreon ad there or patreon.com slash wordballoon. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at instocktrades.com. As I release uh, this episode, it's a new Wednesday. And I'm looking at a new slate of books at In Stock Trades. There's uh, Batman and Robin by uh, Pete Tomasi and Pat Gleason. You know, they're an excellent team on Superman. They did a great job getting the handoff from uh, Grant Morrison and uh, continuing the adventures. Now, of originally, of course, um, it was Dick Grayson and Damien uh, as Batman and Robin. And in this, uh, we finally get Bruce and Damien, father and son, uh, this uh, covers uh, Batman and Robin from the Zero issue that came out during the New 52 to issue 40, plus uh, Batman annuals, uh, Batman and Robin annuals 1 through 3, Robin Rises Omega and Robin Rises Alpha, and a, store from, a story from uh, Secret Origins as well. This is a great run, 1,216 pages. It's 50% off. It's just $62.50. I always uh, like pick up the big ticket items. Because I think they're uh, fascinating. How about Trillium, the deluxe edition from Jeff Lemire, written and drawn by Jeff, a beautiful science fiction series, one of the really exceptional ones. But, you know, Lemire, you're always in good hands with Lemire. They're, they're amazing stories. But this is uh, the complete run. It's uh, 208 pages, 50% off, $17.49. There's also The Punisher, Back to War Omnibus. Uh, this features amazing work. From Mike Zeck and uh, Stephen Grant, among others. But uh, this collects Amazing Spider-Man, uh, number 129. The I guess I'm assuming that was the original. Yeah, that was the original premiere of Frank. Uh, oh, God, it's a great art from uh, Mike Esposito. Uh, oh, my God. One of my, one of my favorite runs. Also, uh, 134 and 135. 161 and 162. 174 and 175. 201 and 202. The Spider-Man Annual, number 15, Giant Size Spider-Man, number 4, Marvel Preview, uh, number 2, and Marvel Super Action. Those were the black and white uh, Punisher stories. 
uh, Captain America 241, Daredevil 182 through 184, Spectacular Spider-Man 81 through 83, and of course, the Circle of Blood miniseries, Stephen Grant and Mike Sack, issues 1 through 5. Uh, we just had Mike on, Word Balloon, a few weeks ago to talk about uh, Circle of Blood and uh, his impact on The Punisher. What an amazing series it was. 696 pages, it's 50% off, it's just $50 at InStockTrades.com. You can also get things like the Doctor Strange Supreme uh, Sorcerer Supreme Omnibus, which uh, features a lot of great uh, early 90s Doctor Strange uh, runs. It's 1,064 pages long and 60% off, also just $50. Some great books at great prices at InStockTrades.com. Don't take my word for it. Go there yourself. You'll find amazing books at great prices. Okay, without further ado, let's get into our conversation now with Jason Inman, and Ashley Robinson, uh, they have created the character Jupiter Jet, and you're going to hear a lot about that and a lot about uh, Star Trek Discovery and really the entire Star Trek franchise. Here it is now on Word Balloon. I am thrilled to have Jason Inman and Ashley Robinson on Word Balloon. Jason, second time. Ashley, finally. Welcome. Oh, man. This is such a benchmark for me. I'm so excited to be here. I've been oh. listening to the show forever, and this is but a dream come true for me. <laughs> I, you know, seriously, guys, from the moment I met you in San Diego, I instantly fell in love with both of you. So, truly. and We're going to make this a polyamorous thing well, by the end of the say, show? I was going to say, as an older brother to, to uh, younger siblings kind of way, because, <laughs> uh, you know, truly, I, you guys are adorable. And I agree with a lot of what you say on your various platforms. I want to talk about that as well. But you're sure. here primarily to talk about your new comic from Action Lab, Jupiter Jet. Yeah, <laughs> Jupiter Jet is our, our first comic book miniseries. Um, I've talked about comic books for many years on various different platforms as well, on Screen Junkies, um, on Collider, and DC All Access now. So I decided to stop talking about other people's comic books and uh, partnered up with Ashley, and we made our own. Yeah, it turns out it only takes a number of years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love the premise. I love the setting. Uh, I will let you guys do the elevator pitch, and then we'll get into it. So how would sure. you describe Jupiter Jet? Jupiter Jet is basically, I would say, Kim Possible meets the Rocketeer. She's a sixteen-year-old yeah. girl named um, Jackie Johnson. Jackie Johnson, who has found an experimental jetpack that was left behind after her father died, and her and her little brother, ten-year-old little brother Chuck, are using that jetpack to steal from the mob and pay their rent and give back to the poor of their neighborhood. And they have a cat. <laughs> <laughs> they do good in a like you said rocketeer kind of 30s era is this an idealized regular earth history thing or is it its own world that is in a sort of diesel pump uh, punk way uh you know set in set in its own world with its own rules I would say it's an idealized version of kind of 1935 that's the year that this takes place in um because there are certainly the area of the city they live in is called Olympic Heights and there's a lot of buildings with um, blimp docks yep. there's a lot of blimps and there's a lot of things called skyways that connect the buildings and stuff like that mm -hmm. so sort of like more of an aeronautical 1935 I would also say that uh over the course of her hero's journey, Jackie's going to learn that everything is not as she seems, and maybe the readers are going to learn that same sort of lesson. Ooh, okay, very. <laughs> so yeah. got to read all five issues. We, yeah, we've we've been teasing to a couple people about um, it's a five issue miniseries, and the fifth issue 
uh, kind of takes a twist a little, has a little, has a big science fiction twist in the fifth issue. And in a perfect world, Jupiter Jet would be five full volumes. And this is volume one. Um, this is volume. These first five issues are definitely not the end of the story. And we set up a lot of stuff that we'd love to play down the road. And it's a curious thing because we've been talking to some of our other writer friends um, about the twist in issue five and wondering whether that'll be the moment where people are like, oh, sweet, I want to read volume two like now or whether that'll be the point of like, this is garbage, whether they'll burn our house to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Well, maybe we'll have to, uh, I guess, in uh, anticipation of the trade. Have you back after issue five or whatever, and we could talk about where the oh, story we, is we, and everything. We'd go spoiler territory. I'd love to do yeah, that. Yeah, totally. Twist our arms. <laughs> a, very cool. No, and, and honestly, good first issue. I think it does what a first issue should do, set up the premise, give us a little adventure. And, you know, obviously you want a little mystery to continue the story, which happens both in the lead story. And then also there there is a backup feature, and you might want to describe it's kind of the you, – you say the origin of the jetpack, but also really the origin of uh, their family, right? Yeah, that's a so it's so funny. We actually didn't plan the backup. Yeah, it, yeah. We're, we have our we have our stuff together. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it mainly happened because um, when our Kickstarter, because uh, we used the Kickstarter funds to uh, pay for our artist and our letterer and our colorist uh, to make sure that they had a working wage and stuff like that. Um, we got a stretch goal, and we thought one of the best things for the stretch goal would be to do this two page backup on every issue. So it would be. Um, a total of, um, you know, 10 10 pages. pages. Yeah. Yep. And it gives us an opportunity to explore some of the most influential characters in Jackie's life who never appear on panel yeah. else elsewise. That's sure. not a word. Yeah, because a big person that looms over Jupiter Jet is, of course, uh, Jackie's deceased father. And in the backup, it's set seven years before issue one. The dad's the main character. And also we get to meet her mom yep. and we get to meet her uncle and we get to see them, I would say, I don't want in, in their prime would probably be the best way to describe it. And it's interesting because we've expanded the world so much that the backup became this thing where we're like, oh, cool. Da, 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 da. The most interesting thing about the backup is, is that the backup really sets up volume two almost more than the real uh, story. Great. There's like a, there's a neat little character element, but. We also wrote them in an idea that they 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 can join with each other, like mm-hmm. they help fill out the world to each other, and they're very much a part of a whole. I also want to say that I'm particularly fond of. We do get to see Jackie when she's quite young in the backup, mm-hmm. and she's just so darn cute. I can't believe we created her. <laughs> <laughs> and so Jackie's sixteen. Charlie, the younger brother, the techie, is uh, ten. Is, is ten. Mm-hmm. And we'll obviously yeah. learn how how Charlie has uh, these amazing abilities. That's such yes. a precocious age. <laughs> well, it's uh, yeah, it, it's uh, mainly he's our, he's our Batman, really. <laughs> yeah, he's he's very much a Lucius Fox kind of a character. That's he, good. That's a that's a better comparison. Yeah, he he, <laughs> he always he's always been fiddling with the wrenches, and um, you know, and while Jackie was all concerned about like flying planes, he was like, "How can I take that apart and make it better?" Yeah, he, yeah. he makes there's there's at several points throughout the series he improves upon existing technologies, which is really cool. I think. Agreed, and I also love. The callbacks to obviously real, you know, 1930s aviation. I'm a I'm a big blimp, uh, fascinated by the blimp uh, industry and its sad demise, uh, understandably so. When people are floating around with hydrogen and everything, yeah. you know, hey, and by the way, this is a smoking car, so feel free. Uh, yeah, you know, it's uh, and I'm actually my science might be as wrong as Star Trek Discovery, a subject to be discussed oh. in a bit. 
But that said, uh, no, and also, you know, these, yeah, these these tweaks of uh, existing technology. He, he invents some sort of almost auto-gyro uh, companion <laughs> to uh, the jetpack. So it's it's a lot of fun retro technology. And again, that's why I like steampunk, but I'm really more of a diesel punk guy, punk guy because that, that period really does fascinate me. And I think, again, lends for really interesting science fiction stories and fantasy stories in, in a way that uh, the Vern stuff can't and, and even the space age can't. So it's I think it's cool. Oh, yeah. thank you. No, that is the thank you. That that is one of the things that they don't. No one ever tells you that if you're ever going to write like a period piece, you have to weirdly do so much more research about automobiles of the 1930s than you ever thought you would have to do. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We also drop um, throughout the series. We drop a couple of references to people who were involved in the industry as mm-hmm. well, or who were important in uh, space travel. And uh, for me, at least, uh, that took a lot of research. There was yeah. There was a couple of times I remember I can remember specific instances where Ashley would write a line and I would be like, have you researched that? And she was like, what do you mean? And I was like, but does that exist in 1935? Is this person alive? (laughs) (laughs) And what they were doing in 35 as opposed to whenever they had their aha moment of science and everything. Exactly. Very cool. So um, tell me about your artists, because both, I think, do capture uh, the designs and the locales quite well. Uh, so Ben Matsuya is our main series artist. And here's if anyone wants to be an artist, here's like my best piece of advice. Uh, we got in contact with Ben because he drew a piece of fan art of Jason from when he used to do a lot of work with uh, Screen Junkies. Okay. And when we wrote him back and said, hey, do you have sequential samples? He did. And they were good. And that's really uh, that's how we got hooked up with him. He lives like an hour away from where we do, well, which is great. Amazing. Uh, and then he originally, because like I said, it, it took us a couple of years to get Jupiter Jet to where it's at now. He drew the first five pages like 18 months before any of the rest of the series because we were using that to pitch and we would take that around to show publishers. And and that's how we showed it to Action Lab and they decided to publish it. Yes, that's how we finally got hooked up with Action Lab. Um, and then we ran the Kickstarter to meet his rate and then he drew the rest of it. But I feel like I do think that the art is very good and I think it is of a piece. But when you when you're us and you've been looking at the same art for so long, you can see how much it changes and you can see how tremendous Ben is and how much he's grown. And he was already amazing to start with. And then our backup artist is Jorge Corona, who you may know from such things as Teen Titans and The Flash. And he's a he's a buddy who we lucked into. He likes us. <laughs> and when, when we were when we were thinking about doing this backup, we we have been wanting to work with him for a while. We love his art style. We thought it would suit. Uh, it did. And we were lucky enough to trick him into doing 10 pages for us. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Now, explain to me wh- how the Kickstarter worked. Because I'm always, again, for people doing creator-owned stuff, I'm always interested in what kind of deal they had. Because as you say, it's coming out through Action Lab as well. So what did the Kickstarter people get? What did you have to produce for it? And now, you know, obviously the Action Lab thing is the full mini-series and eventual trade. Yeah. So here's the thing that people might not know about making comics and particularly about uh, making creator-owned comics. Uh, you have to pay for it all <laughs> if you're if you're the IP holder. And making comics is expensive because, like Jason mentioned, you have to be able to pay your artist, your colorist, your letterer a living wage because to do that, it's a full-time job. And if you want it in a timely manner, um, you have to pay people enough to survive. And usually writers or the person who's the genesis of that idea um, gets stuck footing the bill. 
And Action Lab functions in the same way as Image and any major um, publisher in that you make it, we publish it. So we always ran the Kickstarter with the understanding that this is to pay Ben for his art, Jorge for his art, uh, Mara Jane Carpenter for her colors, and Taylor Esposito for his letters. Jason and I actually uh, are not being paid. We've not taken a page rate. We're actually uh, in the hole on this book so far. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is which is what happens. It's very typical of the industry. Um, yeah. And we always ran it with the understanding that this book was picked up by Action Lab. And what you're basically doing is getting a bunch of cool swag you can't get anywhere else. And you're pre-ordering the book. Yeah, you get the uh, the, the advantage of doing it through the Kickstarter is you basically, yeah, you get the pre-ordered book that we autograph. And also with some cool swag that we're going to throw in there that nobody else gets. But at the same time, the the, uh, the main function of the Kickstarter, like Ashley said, was to make sure the book happened. Because without the Kickstarter, without our awesome Kickstarter donators... Um, it would not have happened. It would just, it, it, just straight up. It totally wouldn't have happened, <laughs> sure. especially not at the quality that it is. Yeah, exactly. And um, we do because the Kickstarter and the the donors there, because they're the reason that we were able to facilitate bringing this book to life. We do let them see a lot of stuff early. They get the first pass at a lot of covers and lettered pages that aren't being shared anywhere else. And they get to read the backup early. They do because we want to show them as much appreciation for allowing us and supporting us uh, in making the story. So did they get um, maybe a digital copy of the the first issue before the hard copies were there, or is uh, everything coming now? That so that's a great question. The, the there is a level where you donated and you got you get the first issue, but then the first issue is going to hit stands on uh, December sixth, and okay. our lovely donors will be getting it before that, but they have not received it okay. at the time of this recording. <laughs> I understand. Well, and what is the final uh, order cutoff uh, date coming up? November 13th. It is. Uh, And for, again, for anyone who doesn't know, that's an important detail because it lets the printer know how many copies to print. So if you want it, the best way to get it is to order it before then. We'll put this out uh, with plenty of time. My intent is really to put this out tomorrow. So, uh, sweet. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, honestly, guys, it's the same thing when I have people who have active Kickstarters and would like as much donate time. I try to facilitate that. And also, uh, no, that's important, and especially for the creator-owned books. And we got to drum it in uh, readers' heads that mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, you know, it's it is great. And I and I'm the classic example of not having a pull list, but walking into the stores that I do and just you know still shopping from the rack. But when it comes to a new book and and a book that a store may not order unless you do let them know and stuff. So yeah. it's, it's important mm-hmm. to get that info out there. And some, some Ashley pointed out to me too, which me as being a longtime comic book customer, but I've never worked in a comic book shop, which is interesting is that you can still go in and pre-order any comic book, even after FOC. And, and those those numbers are valuable, but yeah. it's a different metric that people look. Yeah, at. Yeah, and I had no idea about that. I didn't so, know that either. Uh, the That's more, good. The know. more you learn, so pre-ordering at any time is always a good thing. But especially before <laughs> FOC. <laughs> but yeah, uh, pre-ordering, if you, even if you order it the day before, it's going to hit. That's. And that's indicative to your comic shop of the kindest content that they can invest in, and that helps other maybe smaller, more indie projects get picked up or get a second look at that maybe wouldn't get a look at before. And that's really uh, beyond the beyond the money and beyond the economics. That's what's really valuable because, look, I love Batman as much as the next person, but Batman doesn't need my help. Right. Exactly. He'll <laughs> be just fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, I noticed that you guys were kind enough to give me an advanced PDF, and there's a lot of variant covers. Who are some of your cover artists that you have? 
So our cover A and our cover B are uh, Ben Matsuya, who is the uh, interior artist, yes. and he does beautiful work. And the fun fact is, is that cover B, the reason it's the image is a stark white cover with a, uh, an image of Jupiter Jet. That's actually the very first piece of character art that Ben ever drew of Jupiter Jet, but it's oh. still like... It looks so and good. We, and we gave no notes on it because it was perfect. Yeah, he, <laughs> he, he knocked it out of the park right with the first go. And we I've just always loved that piece. So I was like, that needs to be our second variant cover. And then our cover C is uh, John Boy Myers, who is a friend of oh, ours. Yeah. And we've we've always wanted to work with him. He does amazing stuff on like Teen Titans and Royals and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And he's done some Superman variant covers. So uh, we were lucky enough that he had like a hole in a schedule and was like, totally, guys. Yeah, that's excellent. No, I'm looking at all three of them right now. Beautiful stuff. No, it's a great first Thank issue. Um, I think it hits uh, the right itch for um, a, a great uh, young woman hero, and I think that's good, and I think uh, young readers will like it, and I think it's bouncy and adventurous in the best ways. Uh, and, yeah, very Rocketeer-like, so I think uh, that's a good way to describe it to an audience that may not know what they're getting into. So, John, I just have to say, man, to hear, again... Because this is my, I've now joined the two timers club of word balloons, <laughs> um, which is something I never thought I would happen. Uh, but as a longtime listener of your podcast and, and, a, and a comic book fan for years, um, to hear, I want to say, someone of your status in the industry that means give us H, that. But go on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean it that way. I'm teasing you. But uh, to hear somebody of your status uh, with your platform say that, man, like. I'm gonna say I'm gonna be honest with you, dude. Uh, dream come true, and I really I, I I'm I'm shocked, surprised, and and just gratefully and hu- grateful and humble. No, it's my pleasure, guys. Truly, and I, and thank you for the kind words uh, to me. But honestly, it's it's earned. You guys are doing great, and uh, I'm I'm really glad. And it's no, it's a quality product. I'm happy to endorse it and pass it along to the the listeners. And I do encourage people to go to their stores and and order the book. I'm going to cough right now. Hold on one second. (coughs) Sorry, getting over this uh, terrible flu that I had last week. Anyway, let's get back. Um, (laughs) All right, now I want to ask you guys about uh, your backgrounds because you put me to shame uh, in terms of how much content you crank out every week between Collider (laughs) and Geek History Lesson and DC Access. So, like, give give your, your rundown of various shows that you guys are doing right now. So on Monday, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, well, uh, the main the main thing is um, I, for years uh, we've done content through my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Jawin, and it's been everything from comic book reviews to skits and comedy things. We did um, a thirty episode web series. We, yeah, we did a thirty episode web series oh called God. The Retro Diaries. Oh my god, um, I didn't see that. Go on. Yeah, go check it out. It's uh, it's, it's Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, it's Star Trek. You'll love it. Um, it's it's the whole idea of it was it was the lowest ranked ensign on the original on captain kirk's enterprise and how she survived the episodes yeah oh, very, um, very red shirts very nice all right exactly uh um, and we have a lot of cameos in there like tiffany smith of dcl access is in there uh scott mance of access hollywood is in there how so rudnick, yeah. how, how rudnick of screen junkies is in there so cool. um so that was on the channel and then now we've turned into just kind of we found out that everybody wanted to hear our opinions on uh superhero tv shows so uh, you know, every basically we review every CW DC TV show there is, along with Star Trek. Yeah, <laughs> and then on top of that, um, we make appearances on Collider, talking about all various movies and superhero stuff. 
And we have a weekly podcast called Geek History Lesson. Yeah, uh, every Tuesday. Yeah, and then I do TCL Access on top of that. So um, it basically, if someone will point a camera at us and allow us to talk, we'll talk. We'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> well, not only that, I know, you know, obviously you're doing Jupiter Jet, and I know some other writing projects and things that aren't probably ready for primetime discussion. But uh, no, you guys, like I said, I think. You are incredibly organized, and I, I love the fact that you are generating as much I content wish, as you I are. wish we were as organized as you think we are. Well, I really do. It looks good. <laughs> it looks like you're doing good. But now, as you said, did you used to work at a comic book store? Yeah, I've worked at two different comic book stores. Uh, my first job after – when I moved to the States and I, and I was allowed to work because when you come on a student visa, you're not allowed to work. Interesting. Um, okay. Yeah, it sucks. Um, but when I was allowed to work, my first job was actually uh, at a comic book store. It was a blast off in North Hollywood. Okay. Um, and then I stopped working there, and then I moved deeper into the valley. And uh, like three or four jobs later, was at uh, Earth Two Comics in Sherman Oaks. Oh yeah, that's Jeff Johns' sh- uh, shop, which right? is famous for being Jeff Johns' shop. Yeah. And he will come in sometimes and terrify you uh, to make sure that <laughs> everything is going okay um the first time he introduced himself to me i said oh i know who you are and regretted it immediately Why? <laughs> uh, oh i because i fangirled really hard over his teen titans and i felt like a doofus uh but <laughs> but just lo- he's been really lovely to me so that's Good. what matters uh yeah so i worked in comics retail like on and off over the years and i'll still go i think i've worked the last three or four free comic book days at earth two um I'll go in on sale days. Like they're they're really wonderful to us. It's our home shop, and we are going to have our uh, big Jupiter Jet opening night launch day party uh, there as well. Yeah, it's the home, it's the home base. It's the hometown. It makes the home yeah. Earth. The second Earth is our is our home base. Yeah, but if, uh, you know when you try to look at comics from suddenly a creator's perspective, and I've also worked. Um, I was a head editor at Top Cow, so like I've I've worked in and around comics in a number of different aspects, but to suddenly then be the creator, I feel like it's lent us valuable insight into how to try and use FOC and uh, how to talk to comic book retailers and stuff like that. And I like, I like to think it's to our advantage. I would think, yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I think I would think you'd have to hand sell something like this to a bunch of retailers and, you know, across the country to obviously make a, an impact. Oh, totally. Um, I think we've called 300 shops so far or mm-hmm. something. Surprise me. Yeah. And I will say that most people, because um, all we really want them to do is is read it. <laughs> uh, that's the best thing. If you can get someone to take a look at it and if they like it to talk about it, that's more valuable than someone being like, oh, I'll buy 25 copies. Five copies, 25 copies. It doesn't matter. It's all great. Um and I found that most people that we've talked to are excited that we want to that we want to talk to them. You know, that's the that's the other thing too is like again pulling back the curtain of the comic book retailer for us, especially coming over to the creator side now, is that yeah, like a lot of shops are just like they're a little spooked that we're calling them. Like they're a little like what? But but then when they figure out that we're like, "Oh, here's the first issue. We want you to read it early because like if you're excited about it, just the, the same way like we gave it to you. It's like, sure. well, if you're excited about it, then it makes it really easy for you to talk about it. And you know, if you if you don't hate it, then just don't say anything. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but um for them it's like they're really excited and, and and I get the impression I'm like, you know, maybe some advice to other comic creators out there and I'm the last person to tell any comic creator how to do anything. So Take it with a huge grain of salt. Um, 
uh, maybe we should all call shops more. Yeah, maybe we should pay attention to retailers. <laughs> well, <laughs> what a concept. <laughs> well, you know, we're talking to people like Sam Humphreys uh, a few years ago when he was uh, doing, was it Our Love is Real with the uh, yes. future mm-hmm. story, exactly. And then uh, Jim Zub, obviously, is a classic example. He's coming up on Word Balloon uh, right after I you love- guys. I love Jim. Yeah, he's uh, Wayward, also, but, Wayward is everything. <laughs> well, and again, it's uh, it, it, you do have to hand sell to these these direct stores. If, of those three three hundred stores you talked to, do you know were they uh, young audience centric? Because you know some some stores aren't, and you can't find kids comics. You know, that's very in every store. That's very true, and some people maybe have them and don't curate them or don't know how to sell them because they don't have an audience for them. Sure. But I will, I will say this: even if people didn't say like, "Oh, uh, we have a huge audience," um, the YA market is something that everyone really wants to tap into. Yep. Um, and if you look at the best-selling comics, that's what it is: it's the Raina Telgemeiers of the world. So. I think that and I think because, you know, we can say, oh, you know, female female lead, um, we have a pretty diverse cast, stuff like that. It's all things that people want to hear. Um, you know, yeah. it's funny. Yeah, I found uh, surprisingly, I found a lot of um, shop owners um, that have really tuned into it and they've been like, oh, yeah, we have an audience that is sort of hungry for this type of content for like, I guess, you know, girl that flies around in the sky. Yeah. Content. Um, That's what we're all asking for. Right. You know, I guess we all want it. Uh, But yeah, I've had multiple shops like kind of come out and come be like, oh, yeah, this would be perfect for this X. Like, I'll totally read it and stuff like that. Nobody tells us, no, I don't want to read it. Yeah. That's which is good. That's very good. <laughs> which they could. It's it's you know it's everyone's prerogative to do whatever they want. I'd but. probably give up. The, yeah. the other side of the equation, of course, is the 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 you know bookstore market, and we're learning that they are you know certainly equal to the direct market, and in some cases might be exceeding uh, the sales uh, numbers as far as that stuff goes. When you think of people like Renee Telgemeier and that, um, Action Lab has a good book distribution end as well. Yeah, they do. They are they're on the forefront of most of that. We actually uh, quite recently had to start that process. And my first thought was, but the first issues like why why do we have to look that far to the future? But the book market is something unto itself, sure. and they do they do plan a lot further into the future than uh, the comics direct market. Yeah, you see, as as we are in a parallel journey. Just like our main character, our main character is like flying around, being like, I don't know what the world is. For us, it's the same idea. <laughs> I feel like we are flying around with diesel fuel spewing out our backside, and we're trying to navigate book markets and retailers, and it's illuminating. It's illuminating. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Are you guys? Uh, I hope you plan on coming to Chicago for C two E two. I don't know if you're able to. Uh, uh, it's we we've reached out to a number of cons that we've never been to before. And if they will have us, we will be there. Hi, girl. Very nice. <laughs> I want to eat all the pizzas. Oh, my God. Yeah, well, believe me, I can I can send you to the right places, if not in company, to the right places. So Sweet. Can we sleep on your floor? Then we'll definitely come. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk. Uh, all right. Oh, Airbnb, it'll be great. <laughs> there you go. That's so funny and sad but true. That was my two, <laughs> two San Diego's ago I Airbnb'd it. Um, oh, my God. Did you do it right before people caught on that you could Airbnb during San Diego Comic-Con? Because I remember some friends – it was either like the first year or the second year the Airbnb happened. Some friends of mine who didn't go to hotels 
were using Airbnb and they got this like amazing condo, like this four bedroom condo or whatever, like right in the gas lamp district. And then I found out that the year after that was when everybody tuned into the fact that Airbnb was a real thing. Oh yeah. yeah, no, And it, was the and year it suddenly got jacked. <laughs> yeah. It was the year after. And I had to like, it was about a 15 minute car drive Uber to uh, get to downtown San Diego. And I was smart enough to say, drop me off at Ralph's and I'll walk from Ralph's to the convention, knowing that it was going to be a zoo. As you get anyone, anyone who's ever been to San Diego Comic Con knows exactly which Ralphs you're talking about, <laughs> which is the best part of the story. <laughs> so I love Ralphs. I'm a big fan. And also, God, California produce. Are you kidding me? I mean, we do pretty good. You know, most major cities do. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, no, it's it's a big difference having some fresh California produce in general. So that was always really nice. But um, yeah, no, it was somebody's apartment. I got a cough again. You'll forgive me. No, Absolutely. I'll turn, at least turn my microphone off so you don't have to hear me coughing up a lung while we're talking. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that was I, – I talked about my Airbnb horrors of San Diego two two years ago. I mean they're very nice people, but it was just was so humid. It was in back in uh, 2016, and it was really humid that year, and uh, uh-huh. they didn't have air conditioning. <laughs> and, uh, and they gave me this little fan the size of a 45 record. And it was, you know, which was great when it was, you know, six inches away from me. It was cool enough and everything. But I'd wake up in a pool of sweat. I was like, I felt like a Rocky opponent in all the Rocky movies where the canvas is just so sweat. <laughs> it was just crazy. And they were so apologetic about it. But very sweet kids. They were very nice people to stay with and everything. Anyway, moving on. Let's actually uh, take, uh, you know, I, I'm going to take a break here. And uh, we will uh, come back and talk more with uh, Jason Inman and Ashley Robinson and then talk more about... Uh, their uh, their nerd passions when we come back, and we break and you know insert a commercial. Okay, and we're back uh, with uh, Jason and Ashley, and I want to uh, turn the page and uh, start talking about some of the other things that they talk about on their online content. They mentioned the the CW uh, shows. I, I'm a big fan. I am so amazed. Isn't it interesting that DC really knows television quite well? Marvel knows movies quite well. And then you know we'll see we'll see how things work out as as both progress uh, this season and beyond, both film wise and television wise. Yeah, I was gonna say both have had some hits and some misses of the opposite realms. <laughs> yeah, and it's also interesting too. I feel how DC like completely controls sort of the animated side of things as well. Absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Marvel's animation, though, I have to say, improves, and I like some of the deals they make. I loved the stuff that came out of Japan. Uh, the Iron Man, X Men, uh, uh, Wolverine, and Blade. Oh, I remember that. I thought those were pretty interesting, and even things beyond that, the that Black Widow Punisher thing that they did. And I mean, that's the thing. There's there's always some other interesting product that I think winds up on Netflix or some of the other platforms and stuff. But and then of course some um, Marvel's t- weekly uh, TV animation compared to DC's direct. Uh, to video or yeah, direct to video animation that they do and stuff. Again, I think Marvel ex- does well with Disney XD product, and then uh, DC's doing really well with the the stuff that goes right to DVD and uh, streaming. Yeah, they are, but uh, they're also they get some cute little nuggets because if you haven't seen Justice League action, it's like fantastic. Great, and there's and there's like forty seven episodes. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> you can just spend all day watching it. There's so many like deep cuts and like Golden Age Easter eggs and Silver Age Easter eggs, oh and God, yeah. I, I'm just impressed with the amount of characters and jokes that they're doing because like there are some real hardcore nerd jokes in Just League Action. Amen. And, and I, I feel like not enough people are watching it, well, which it, makes me sad. But, but I have a feeling that unfortunately it's due to Cartoon Network's preference. They bury the show. My God. 
I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I can't imagine being. I mean, I'm sure we all got up early for Saturday morning cartoons back in the day. But that said, my God, it's like in Chicago, not seven thirty early. Yeah, yeah, it's like <laughs> it's six thirty. It's six thirty Chicago time, and I, yeah, I set the DVR, and also the fact that it's only, you know, I imagine this might have ideally been presented as a half hour with two stories, and the fact that it is pretty much a nine minute show with with commercials, a fifteen minute show, very weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But hopefully they account the streaming numbers. Yeah, hopefully. Right? That's the thing that networks don't do at all. <laughs> well, but they, I think they're obviously slowly coming to that realization. You know, I mean, it's the, the, the TV world is changing and streaming is having this huge impact. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, they, they are smart enough to finally start counting, you know, DVR numbers versus first run numbers and things like that. So I think the TV industry is slowly catching up. I think so too. I, I think it's a little bit of a still of a Titanic situation, but I I kind of wonder. Uh, Wait, explain, of like DC, explain the Titanic. Well, comparison. just just that it, you know it's very slow to turn the Titanic Got it. away no. from the iceberg. Yes. So I feel that they take in streaming, but they may be like taking streaming a year behind. Like the, they can see the iceberg, but they're not moving yet. Well, no yeah, question. exactly. And, again, and and you're right. And also, it's because they've got this. The record in the music industry was the same way. With, you know, not only Napster, but but just, you know, all the different online uh, music platforms and stuff. It's like, yeah, but we have this apparatus that has existed for decades. And, well, it's also, and, yeah, it's uh, it's also the same thing, too, when about two years ago, every kind of Internet sort of content creator created their own pay service. So that's when YouTube Red started. It's when Comic-Con HQ started. It's when Screen Nuggies Plus happened. And then now... Two years later is now when all the networks are doing it. We're going to get a BBC streaming service. We're going to get a Stargate yep. streaming service, yes, the, CBS All Access. And, yes, and, and, and Stargate, you're right. Go on. And, yeah. and all of those original ones have imploded. Yeah. <laughs> they don't exist anymore yep. because you can get that same content for free. Um, it's, it's, an in, it's interesting to watch it evolve, I think. Agreed. And, you know, Seesaw was that comedy channel that – came and went and had great content and in fact yeah. i know some of its programming uh bounced over to hulu and i'm looking forward to uh, that johnny carson show coming up in a couple of weeks for example um good on hulu though for picking it up and not just letting all that content die because it's it's not always that the content is bad but oh, sure. the way it's the the way it's delivered counts for a lot i hope cbs all access is listening and taking notes yes as we get closer to our star trek discovery talk no i agree i mean that's that's the thing i and you're right when you mentioned Stargate, the MGM platform that's coming out, and certainly MGM has a huge library. I have Warner Archive, and I'm starting to wonder if I should keep it anymore because I'm, I love the old movies and old TV that it was showing, but it's not that it's not that hard to get through it of the stuff you want. And certainly CBS All Access. Look, I mean, you know, I'm I'm as you know, as the three of us know, uh, I'm a huge Star Trek fan, as the Word Balloon listeners know, I am. And I was, of course, going to get Discovery, but it is disappointing at how little CBS All Access has beyond the first-run CBS shows and Star Trek. I mean, you know, hey, I love the Odd Couple. I love the classic Odd Couple. Uh, and that's great that it's there, but, you know, I can literally count on my hand the classic television shows that they have there that I'm like, oh, I'm really glad they've got it there. It is It is a little disappointing, and I, and, and I was actually really excited for it because um, we love to watch, like, old sitcoms. Like like '90s sitcoms and '80s sitcoms okay. and stuff like that. Like it's kind of a fun like unwinding thing for us. And I was I was really hoping to like find something on CBS All Access that's like, oh man, I remember that show. And it, you can't find it anywhere else. Um, but 
there aren't those things no. on CBS All Access. And I also noticed that the HD quality is not as good as like compared to like Netflix. On well, all their Star Trek shows, all the old ones are in standard. They're, yeah, they're in SD. Yep. So I kind of feel like my CBS All Access money is just paying directly. I mean, you're paying Jason Isaac's salary. And I'm paying Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> yeah. Although I do I'm, like I'm, the good one. Uh, I'm the, buying the donuts. I do like the yeah. good fight. I have to say that. I, I've never checked that one out. You know, I've, I've never, I've never finished the Good Wife. Well, I never watched the Good Wife, but I met um, the guy from Mike and Molly Niambe Niambe, who played the the coffee shop owner that the cops would mm-hmm. go to, and uh, he came to Alex Ross's comic booth this year at Comic Con, and I was doing video for them, and uh, he, you know, I'm like, oh my god, I go, hey, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm on the Good Fight, and he's like, have you seen it yet? I said, no, but I'm getting access for Star Trek, so I guarantee you, I will. And waiting for dude. Access. Next year, you gotta you gotta be like, hey man, you gonna you gonna come on my show or what? <laughs> oh, believe me, he um he wrote a story for Bitch Planet, Kelly Sue DeConnick oh, and nice. Galvalandro's book, and yeah, so I'm trying. And uh, and he said I got some more comic book stuff coming. He's an aspiring comic writer, so I imagine we we've, we're following each other on Twitter. So hopefully that'll happen. But cool, uh, cool. but anyway, I yeah. So we'll see. Well, we may as well start our our, our Star Trek Discovery conversation because. Uh, we are eight episodes in as we're recording this. Uh, we still have the uh, the fall fall finale. God, I hate. I I love this puffery around. Hey, uh, we're taking two months off, and I mean, you know, please the CW and some other, you know, all the networks do this now. With the everyone does oh, it. Oh, and it just it drives me insane. It really does. It's like, hey, here's an idea: make less shows. You know, it's. Oh, I agree. You know. Do the BBC model. Yes. Make eight that are perfect. I'll take that. I'd rather have that instead of 24, where still it's only eight that are perfect, and then it's uh, whatever 24 minus eight is of uh, mediocre episodes, which uh, often is the case. But also, so much of our content, um, at least online, is derivative of those shows, so when they go away, it's very frustrating. That's fair. And and yeah, I can imagine exactly. You guys only have one more Discovery uh, review show on Collider coming up with our pal Rob Meyer Burnett, who's hilarious. Mm Mm-hmm. I must say the interesting the interesting thing, especially since we were talking about it this week, is that the episode that just aired, episode eight, was supposed to be the original fall finale. Yeah, the first the first order was only for was for those eight, eight. and then it was a break, and then they extended it to nine. Yeah, and I was we were talking about that quite a bit, where we were like, man, what what a lackluster cliffhanger to even make me care for two months. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) confusing episode that didn't leave us had they left us there and moving on with questions that frankly most of them i didn't care about because of the execution and in fact that's something you guys talk about on uh, your reviews of each episode and i encourage the listeners to check out your uh, your show it's very entertaining i i've been having thank you man absolutely guys well i've only you know slowly gotten to know you and uh rob has come on the show a few times on word balloon and I was already a fan because I love Free Enterprise's movie so much and started to see him at a couple uh, San Diego cons and approached him about coming on War Balloon. And I am I love his opinions. And whether I agree or disagree, they're always entertaining. And I am laughing half the time when he's describing them, not at him, but truly just in terms of the level of knowledge he has about Trek and his... And and his very well-reasoned opinions, whether I agree with them or not, it's like, well, he's got his case down. And it's never in that it's 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 ultra fanny, but I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm looking at it through nerd col- uh, col- colored glasses, and it's okay with me. But I don't find it, you know, comic book guy, you know, angry. 
I, I find it more like, no, he's coming from a base of knowledge, given that we've had 50 years of Star Trek, you know, programming. And, you know, sometimes when things don't add up, I, I certainly think Star Wars fans have shown their anger at the prequels. And now it's kind of the Star Trek people's turn to kind of go, yeah, that doesn't match up. And I, I, got, a, I got a little issue with that. And certainly this last episode. I imagine people are caught up, and if not, they can listen to this at this point. Here's a chance for you guys to jump off, because we're going to get into a bit of spoiler talk. Uh, but yeah, like, for instance, the cloaking of, uh, of of the ships coming from suddenly the Klingons when it was always established that that was Romulan technology going not from the original, not only the original series, but all the way through Deep Space Nine when they're outfitting the Defiant. And, exactly. and it's the Romulans that are, you know, they've got the cloaking technology. And, and, and to be honest with you, it's it's not even that. And we get a lot of criticisms on that when we do the videos for Collider Dude, about people on. being – Oh, people go crazy in the comments where they're just like, well, if you guys would just poo you – you this, we, is, this is my comment voice. We get a lot of, if you don't like it, why did you review it? And you're like, that's not what a review is. Yeah. It, 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 we get, it's interesting that in the internet culture, it's now like, oh, you shouldn't review it unless you love it. Which to me is like, no, that's not the idea of a review. It's yeah. The review is a critical analysis. Exactly. But um, with my problem, my, my biggest problem with Discovery is the fact that it's a prequel. And Great. I don't have a problem with prequels because I am – I love Enterprise. Now, Great. Enterprise has a lot of problems. It has some really terrible episodes. But I do think that Enterprise on the whole – is a great Star Trek series, and it's a really. I wish we'd gotten more seasons than what we got because it. I agree. They kind of didn't figure out what the show was till towards the end. Yep. Um, but with Discovery, in all their press stuff before they launched the series, they were very insistent on like, nope, this will fit into canon. Yep. We've we've hired people that are going to be on the writing staff. This that is will, the prime universe. Yeah, they're <laughs> like, this is the prime universe. We're gonna we're gonna watch continuity like a hawk. And from episode one, it was like, no one's watching continuity. This is crazy town. Yeah. 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 Well, and trust, <laughs> it, us, and yeah. trust us was the buzzword back at uh, San Diego Con when they started telling us, you know, when they when they made the reveals that Michael Burnham was going to be uh, Sarek's adopted daughter. And we're like, okay, you know, the, the, the way that... just seriously address her name? Because they explained it in a press release and have never done it in canon. Like, I hate that her name is Michael. Well, um, you know, there was the, the Walton's mothers. The actress's name was Michael Lennard. So I have heard of women named Michael. It's, but they, you know, but go on. They even address it. Like, Tilly's like, I don't know any girls named Michael except uh, basically you. And th- there is a very early convention it was a convention or a press conference i'm sorry i don't remember and i don't have notes and don't tweet no me yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 but where they stated that her name is michael <laughs> after her father because when sarah found her she was so shocked she couldn't say what her name was oh, and i like, didn't even remember that's, that that's that's hilarious that's a beautiful and that idea. is yet to have been said and in it's the show never been it like <laughs> It's something that I think if we had seen – if we'd seen a little bit or heard a little bit about that, and I don't think it would have taken much. I, it, it just bugs me. It bugs me so much. Well, it's also the same thing like um, – and we bring up this point a lot in the Collider series. And you know, I think, John, you, you might feel this as well because we, we love Star Trek so much. Yes, and we just want Star Trek to be good. Yes. And Discovery is so – close there's so much potential and there are wonderful moments yeah but i keep jiving across these moments where um i i I will forgive 
bends in continuity. I will forgive mistakes in continuity. The original series does it. TNG sure. does it. I'll give you a little bit here and there, like Enterprise making the Vulcans assholes. Like, that's not really in continuity. <laughs> but, okay, if you're going to tell me an interesting story with it, then I'll go right, with I'm you. with you. I, I completely yeah. agree. Go on. But but then uh, Discovery does the things where it doesn't bend continuity. It snaps it in half. Where on Enterprise, they were like, hey, you know what? Um, it's said in TOS that ships of this time period don't have visual communications. But when they were making that show, they were like, that's stupid. So let's just have view screens like you've seen in the future series, and everybody will accept it. And we did. Discovery is set seven years in front of the the man trap where no man has gone before, James Kirk. And they have hologram technology that, that they couldn't perfect in Voyager that, that, right. that could kick the ass of Star Trek Voyager. And you're like, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold your roll here, Star Trek. I agree. <laughs> no, I, you're taking the words right out of my mouth. Absolutely. And also, oh, God, you said it on the uh, Collider show, Jason, about episode eight that oh, things like things happen conveniently uh, rather than. Well, this makes sense because the story is is designed that way, and yeah. and also, for instance, Michelle Yeoh's uh, captain is supposed to be this amazing captain. Well, all we saw her do was fuck up, and and and, 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 die. Know, and die exactly. <laughs> and yes, I guess she was able to take out Takuvma or whatever, or or at least Takuvma's ship, or, or disable it and everything by by putting mines on the, the dead Klingons that he was collecting and everything, but um. Yeah, it's I, I, and also I just don't believe the way they tripped into this war. And certainly, World War One is as we celebrate its, or however, acknowledge the end of its centennial or whatever. Uh, you know, that's a classic war that everyone kind of tripped into in real life. But I don't know. I, I don't buy that there was this, f- you know, full-on Klingon contact by Jonathan Archer. And granted, it was a hundred years ago, but Stark Freely is, you know, that that isn't that information just didn't seem to be available when they needed it most. And, it, and and you you bring up the First World War and how everyone fell into that, and I think that's true. But also, I don't watch Star Trek for something that's true to life. It's, <laughs> I mean, just honestly, like this is fantasy. This is escapism. So. I'd like a little more of a clean explanation, maybe, or or a more well thought out or something that's, I don't know, maybe a little more heralded. Like, I don't, I liked the blue planet and there's no blue planets besides our own as far as I know. So, No, I'm with you. Well, and as I told you guys, getting back to Michael's relationship with the Vulcans and everything, uh, I I told you uh, you guys in New York, Snarky Sarek. I don't like Snarky Sarek. Sarek seems to be in this prequel where Spock is after meeting V'ger and that evolution of Spock's character throughout the movie, which is great. And it's kind of forget. It's kind of forgotten. Agreed. And, and honestly, he that changes is the, redeeming, the motion picture. That's the redeeming quality of that first film is Agreed. Spock has that realization of, Oh, I see both sides are valuable. I know who I am now for maybe the first time in my life and moving forward. That's where he had that little ironic kind of smile and attitude even more from the sense of knowing and the Sarek that we meet uh, in uh, Journey to Babel is, uh, I'm, I, and I love Michael Leonard. I he, uh, or rather uh, Mark Leonard. Mark Leonard. Yeah, he was mm-hmm. so good. He was, I mean, God, he was just he was great, quintessentially. And and that's the thing. And I I used to think he and Nimoy were like the only two guys that could do it. But actually, Tim Russ was a very credible Vulcan. Um, I, he was a great and, Vulcan. And Jolene Blaylock, I thought, did an excellent job too. 
Agreed. Absolutely. Now, uh, John, I want to ask you before, because, and again, I, I worry that the listeners have all tuned out because they're just like, God, these nerds. No, no, I, hey, man, um, are you kidding? My, <laughs> thankfully, the League of War Berlin listeners are huge Star Trek fans, love the Burnett episodes, love the fact that you and I talked a month ago, and that's why oh, I nice. I'm like, oh my God, I go, come on, you got to come on the show, we got to talk Star Let, Trek, so. Well, John, <laughs> let me ask you this, because I posed this question to Robert Meyer Burnett the last time. Um, I, I saw him today, uh-huh. uh, later <laughs> today, a couple hours earlier ago. today, yes. I, 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 it, was, it was a couple hours ago. Uh, <laughs> um, when I watched Star Trek, the next generation live, but I was a little kid. Okay. okay. So I loved it because it had lasers and transporters and warp technology and all this stuff like that. Um, but I feel like Star Trek, the next generation is the only other Star Trek series that you can compare to discovery because it's the brand new one. We haven't had Star Trek in a while, and it's quite different from the previous one. So not a lot of people like Star Trek The Next Generation Season 1. Agreed. Um, and, John, I don't know if you watched it live, but how did, how did you feel about Star Trek The Next Generation Season 1 as you were watching it live, and how does that compare to Discovery? I would get impatient, but not as impatient as I've gotten with Discovery. Um I was so so on the on the pilot as I remember it, um, and I heard I heard Rob's comments about this too. Um, I thought that yeah, you know Roddenberry had that's that's the season that Roddenberry obviously had the most influence on, and there were a lot of episodes that did feel like, as Rob said, uh, trying to recapture the spirit of the original series, and it wasn't necessary. But then again, uh, you guys came up with a laundry list of episodes, and I agree. Uh, Data Lore is a great first season episode. Um, the uh, the episode that uh, you guys mentioned with the Binars and Riker and, and uh, Patrick Stewart in the holodeck and Min Minuet, uh, the woman that Riker mm. follows. Oh, Minuet! I love that episode. Yeah, I mean, you know, so there were there were a handful of, of strong enough episodes, and again, it was new Star Trek. And as as I feel about Discovery, and also by then too. I knew, um, as someone in my 20s then and everything, I'm like, you know, this thing's going to get better. I know it's going to get better. So I will stick with it. And thankfully, it ended well. I think the last couple episodes, the episode where they go back to Starfleet Academy and the creepy mealworm uh, aliens. I believe that's Contagion. I believe you're right. That's awesome. And then also um, the Neutral Zone. Was a great. Uh, That's a great one too. Season episode and everything. We are back. Exactly. <laughs> nice. So yeah, I mean, there, there were enough elements there that I rooted for this. I'll be honest. This crew, thankfully, has grown on me in in eight episodes, but um, I still don't know enough about them. I felt like I knew a lot more about the uh, Next Generation uh, crew than I do this one. I agree. Discovery does fall on the the trap of telling us and not showing us yep. and. It's sad because I think what Doug Jones is doing with Saru is so brilliant. I do think he he I think he is going to be the Tuvok, the Doctor, sure. the um, the Paul, the um, Data of this series because he's so engaging. His alien is so interesting, but it, it is true. Eight episodes in. And I don't feel like we know any of the characters, really. Honestly, I think we maybe know Stamets the best. Yes. You're probably correct yes. on that. Yeah, And we've probably seen the mirror version of him for most of it. I agree <laughs> with that as well. Yeah, and that whole and, – and also them immediately telling us – I'm kind of angry that the producers said, oh, yeah, by the way, the mirror image is going to figure really into this. It's like – Okay, so they weren't – they weren't supposed to, but uh, Jason Spacedat, uh 
leaked that by accident Jonathan Franks. at STLV this yeah. year. Ah, and again, so... you guys were there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that was. Yeah, he apparently he let let that fly, and they weren't supposed to let that fly. So at they all. were just like, uh, yeah. But I mean, <laughs> even if he had it, it's they're hitting it pretty. How many people have we seen reflected in mirrors so far? Well, it's fun. <laughs> it's fun. And, and yeah, Alice it's, through the looking glass and her quoting it, and oh my god, Jesus! Well, even yeah. even in the most previous episode <laughs> where Stamets uh, comes out of the spore drive, um, he calls Tilly Captain Tilly. Yep. Yes. Oh yeah. And you're like, oh, is he? Is that what it is in the mirror universe that Tilly is in charge? <laughs> Dear I'm God, like, oh, she in that uh, mirror universe Enterprise. I hope not. <laughs> oh my God, I love that. That that was a great Enterprise two parter. That was fantastic, and uh, especially the way they changed the opening and made it the mirror universe opening and everything. Oh, that episode's great, especially the way they cut in the footage of First Contact, except where Zephyrin Cochran yes. blows away the Vulcan <laughs> with the shotgun. <laughs> That was the first episode of uh, Enterprise I ever saw. That is correct. Wow. So uh, it's a fun story. Ashley, uh, when I first met her, did not like Enterprise at all. I had not seen it. And I, was, I, fa- I fell into that thing of like, Enterprise yep. jokes. And I, and I told her, I was like, okay, I'm going to show you one episode of Enterprise. And if you don't like this episode of Enterprise and you don't consider it to be good Star Trek, then I won't show you a single other episode. And the one I showed her was in a Mirror Darkly Part 1. There you go. But here's a fun fact about Ashley. I hate the mirror universe. But she wanted to watch. She <laughs> wanted do, to watch part two immediately. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I don't. I don't like the mirror universe outside of using it once and only once and never going back to it. it to me, it's like the angels and Doctor Who. The more you revisit it, the less. Oh, I that's like it. hilarious, and I agree with you about the angels. But I do. Um, I do like the turns in the mirror universe, not only on the television shows, but even in the novels as well. Yeah, I'm like the only person in the world who doesn't like it. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm just waiting to be convinced. Like, we rewatched Deep Space, Deep Space Nine. Um, all the mirror stuff? Well, just all of oh, it. Oh, that's great. I constantly uh, rewatch it. It's my favorite. My, of the, mine, too. Oh, had a girl. It's, See? It's my – yeah, our, it, that's, that's part of the reason why we got to – uh, know each other so well is because we both like D Space Nine and that I literally up yep. to that point never met another person whose favorite series is D Space See? Nine. Very nice. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and I've said this on a couple of, a couple episodes, and I'll say it here. I, I like it so much because uh, my father was an officer in the military, and he really reminds me of Cisco, and so I was on board with that immediately. And then they had a hot doctor, and like, yeah, and I know I'm going to get <laughs> tweeted. I'm getting tweets now that are like, you're not black. How could your dad remind you of Cisco? <laughs> because I always get those oh, tweets. Oh, really? Oh, my God. I told, yeah, no. <laughs> I've told it before on, on the show, and I, I know I told Jason. I met Avery Brooks, and I tried to buy him a drink, and he put his hand on my shoulder. We were talking for maybe two or three minutes and telling him how much I love Star Trek. But not only that, I loved him in Spencer for Hire and A Man Called Hawk because I loved the Parker novels. And he's the quintessential actor to ever play Hawk. And he immediately got the character. And I know hearing Robert Parker in interviews was very pleased with Avery Brooks' portrayal. And uh, I'm like, I'd love to buy you a drink. He's like, oh, that's not necessary. I'm like, oh, please, it'd be my pleasure. He put his hand on my shoulder. He's like, John, you don't have to buy me a drink. We're having a lovely conversation. And I felt like Jake Sisko. And I'm just but like, you can tell. Oh, okay. I can just imagine in my head, I'm so jealous of you, but I'd be like, like John. Thank you, you for those that. That's that, that, that beautiful musical voice, and I'm He's just so operatic. Totally, I honestly, I felt like his son. I'm like, okay, Dad, no problem. Oh my god, I would be so intimidated to meet Avery Brooks because I don't know if uh, I wouldn't just cry. 
entire time. <laughs> I love you so much. So you guys, and, and, and forgive me, Jason, we might have covered this in the first chat conversation, but I'll ask you both. Which cast members have you met? I took a Shakespeare class just because Armand Shimmerman taught That's it. Fantastic. And uh and he was he was absolutely lovely and a wonderful teacher. Um and it is if you're in LA, I would definitely recommend checking it out. The Antaeus Theater Company. Um also Jim Beaver was a student in that class. Why do I, know so, Jim Beaver? I know that name. Uh are you a supernatural or Deadwood oh, yeah. fan? What is, what is he in Supernatural? He's the uncle who died and then came back as a ghost. Okay. I got We'll look it up really quick. No, I, I just know what that. What are you talking about? Yeah, I'll, I'll, go on. Um, but he's he's a wonderful character. I think the character's name is Bobby or Billy or something. Bobby, Bobby Singer Bobby, Bobby. is who he plays. Uh, and he's a big theater actor I in L.A. Him. and him and Armin are, are friends. Um, but yeah, if you ever want to feel like you're not very talented, I would recommend taking that exact class because he's just wonderful. We we might have covered this in the last time I was on, and if we have, it's just a fun story. So I'll tell it again. Uh, there's I've I've met two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I met Jonathan Franks because the first time I ever went to Star Trek Las Vegas, um, I took a picture with him because the one comment I get the most in DC All Access is you look exactly like Jonathan Franks. <laughs> so we did like a sitcom and you, pose. And you do. Yeah. And I, so I, I jokingly call him my space dad. That's cool. Sometimes. Oh, you're like, there you uh, go, like Star-Lord. That's yep. fantastic. Go on. Um, now, I have had weird connections with Connor Trenier. Who played Trip Tucker this on is, Enterprise? This is a little bit of a lengthy story. This is a little bit of a lengthy story. <laughs> so, uh, two weeks into when I first moved out to Los Angeles, a friend of mine got got me a gig uh, as a PA on some sort of commercial for an app that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> I don't even remember the name of it, but it was this idea. And he had a bunch of actors, and it was a funny commercial. And one of the actors was Connor Trenier. And I was to me, I didn't know any of the rest of the actors, but to me as a Star Trek Enterprise fan, a Star Trek guy, I was like, oh, my God, this is so cool. So I waited the whole day. And then as he was walking out the door, I stopped him and asked him to get a picture with me. So then a couple years later, uh, Ashley and I got hired by this. Well, OK, can I can I interject here? Oh, uh, we were watching Enterprise. Can I swear on of this podcast? Okay, so uh, we watched Similitude, and I cried so hard. His, one uh, and Trip, yeah. Trip is one of my favorite. I tweeted at Connor Trenier, fuck you, Connor Trenier, <laughs> for making me cry in Similitude. And he wrote back, ha, 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 ha. That's ha. awesome. So then, like, <laughs> a year after that, um, so, so, he, so a year after that, Ashley and I got hired by this organization called Aura.TV to do the show that never made it onto the internet. It was, uh, it's Larry King's streaming service. It was Larry service. King's streaming service, and it was okay, we were going to do the show called Collector Trekkie okay. about Star Trek fans. And we, we shot, like, three episodes, and one of our guests was Connor Trenier. Fantastic. Now – he walked in and they asked Ashley to wear her red shirt costume from the red shirt diaries. So he walks in and he goes, Oh, I know you. Yeah. I've seen your show. Wow. Well, we, we, we said <laughs> Hey to him for like five seconds at STLV yeah. b- before that. But then I, but then I told him the story about working on the commercial um, and w- with him and he remembered it and he was like, Oh man, I remember that app. Da, 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 da. Okay. So like, that was the strange thing. Um, and then last year, uh, well, earlier this year, earlier this year, excuse me, uh, uh, at, the, at the women's march, I think it was last year, actually. Was but, that last yeah, yeah, it was last year. I don't remember. Um, Sorry. At the women's march across in L.A., uh, we walked through downtown L.A. and we were with another friend of ours. And our friend was like, oh, there's this really good like chicken spot that's over here. If we just walk a couple blocks. And so we went with them. We get in line and then I have a tap on my shoulder. 
and I turn around and it's Connor Trenier. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, hey, how's it going? Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. So, like, I'm expecting that sometime next year I will randomly bump into Connor Trainer somewhere on yeah. the street. <laughs> okay, so I have, I have one more. Um, oh. I was very, very fortunate to be invited um, to the press junket for Star Trek Beyond. <laughs> but my email was like, I'm very sorry. The only person we have for you is Carl Urban. And I was like shut the fuck up. He's the only person I want to talk That's to. Fantastic. I will be there because I love Lord of the Rings is my favorite thing ever. So I was so excited <laughs> to talk to him. Um, and it wasn't on camera. It was just a, a written up interview. Um, he was really lovely. He's super cool. And uh, I have a necklace that is the Vulcan. It's a, it's a Vulcan word. Um, and I was wearing it and he was like, oh, your necklace is really pretty. And I was like, oh, thanks. It's the Vulcan word for beloved and like blah, blah, blah. And he was like, oh, can I take a picture of it? Uh, or he asked me if I was going to go interview Simon Pegg. And I was like, no, you're the only person I got, but you're the only person I wanted. So it doesn't matter. And he was like, I have to show this to Simon and Zach. And I was like, OK, Carl. Wow. <laughs> That's fine. Um, and then very generously, I was like, hey, I know this is unprofessional. You can tell me no. But I was like, I love Lord of the Rings. Will you please take a picture with me? Uh, and he did. And he he was an absolutely beautiful human being. So at the end of all those stories, we're colossal nerds and we meet Star Trek oh, actors. Please. Yeah, we yeah. all are. It's OK. And, I, and I've, I've mentioned my encounters with uh, Frakes and um, George Takei and uh, Nimoy. And they were, you know, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Like, there's we were in the same uh, swimming pool as Tim Russ once. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> in, at, at Star Trek Las Vegas. At Star Trek Las Vegas. Yeah, we looked over and it was like, oh, hey, there's Tim Russ. Yeah. I'd be interested to it's see it. his band per perform. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, it's interesting because I think about, uh, you know, and we all do this, like. Who are the people that if we met, we would get verklempt and just not be able to talk about? And I, I think Patrick Stewart would be one of them. Like if I ever had the chance to meet Captain Picard, I don't know if I could say anything. I, if, I, if you could be a person. I don't know if I could be a person. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. I told, Honestly, I'm lucky because spending 15 years in, in sports radio, I met so many athletes and I kind of learned how to – like bottle my holy shit I can't be t I can't believe I'm talking to X inside of me while being able to you know hopefully like do a decent interview and certainly Adam West last year in New York was a moment like that oh man yeah that would have been amazing oh, my, well, yeah. and again one of my idols since I was four and and I, I would say Shatner is the only one and like an idiot I blew it this year because I uh, had to fly back early Sunday morning so I missed my chance at the DC press junket for Batman versus Two Face. And uh, Burt Ward and uh, Shatner were, uh, as I understand it, they were supposed to be at that uh, junket, and I think they probably still were. Did you get a chance to talk to them, uh, Jason, at all? I I did not. I I've never got a chance to meet Adam West before he passed away, and I and I kind of regret it because there I had a couple opportunities, but the the way DC All Access yeah, went, figured, yeah. but it was just scheduling just didn't never worked out for me. Mm -hmm. So, but I did. I have met uh, Burt Ward. Gotcha. And he we both met him and he was uh, such a pleasure. Sure. I, I, I was so impressed with like because, you know, he he's the first Robin, basically, Amen. or one of the first Damn Robins. Straight. And he could. Yeah. And he could literally tell me to, you know, screw off. And I would be like, yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> you know, but he was totally nice. He was so, so genuine and nice. He seems to be in, a, in the interviews that I hear of him and everything. And yeah, man, I mean, again, you know, I'm, I got a couple decades on you guys and I grew up, uh, 
you know, when Batman was, I mean, actually, I vaguely remember, well, they probably were the reruns. I couldn't watch Cesar Romero as the Joker. It scared the hell out of me. It was too weird. He was too, with that high-pitched voice and the laugh and just evil clown and everything. And luckily, I don't know if you know this name, Ann Jillian was a big 80s sitcom person. Yes, I do. Okay, attaboy. Uh, she had a pilot for something that didn't make it called The Rainbow Girl where she was a singer. Uh, she worked at a local TV station and it was all about her and her goofy ethnic family. But she was a singer on a polka show. And Cesar Romero played the band leader of the polka show. And we got to see the pilot uh, shot, me and my stepmother, and uh, meet the cast. And there's Cesar Romero. And I had to tell him. I was like 17 at the time. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I'm such a fan. But I got to tell you, when I was four years old, he scared the hell out of me. And he said, good. I was supposed to scare the hell out of you. That's good. And he laughed. But he could not have been sweeter. <laughs> just, a, just a big, you know, crazy former, you know, Hollywood great and everything. And, uh, yeah, it was it was amazing meeting him. And, and that's the thing. These shows, as I'm sure they were for the shows that you guys watched when you were tiny little kids, oh, my God, these were like our gods. And that's to, to actually finally now as adults to get to meet some of these people. It, it's you know, ridiculous. It's, it, it, yeah, and it, and it happens at all levels because my, my little sister, uh, she works at a news station in Joplin, Missouri. Cool. And because I'm from Kansas and, you know, I'm from the four state area and she went into television production like she works at the local TV station there. And when she got married about four years back, all of the anchors, there's three stations. There's the ABC station, the NBC station and the CBS station. All of the main six o'clock anchors went to her wedding because she had worked at every station and they knew her and they liked her. And you should have seen my family. It was like the president of the United States was, was at the wedding. All my relatives and cousins were just like, oh, wow, I can't believe they came. Yeah. You know? That's fantastic. And, and I remember I took a picture with one of them because he was the anchor when I was growing up and stuff like that for 20 years. And I remember I posted something to all my L.A. friends and being like, only about 300 people that follow me on Twitter understand who the hell this is. <laughs> this is you were like, but this but, is great. But it's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, The Bensons and I are like that with Chicago uh, people that they're aware of and stuff because I've worked in Chicago broadcasting for the last 25 years. And, uh, yeah, they're like, oh, my God, you know X? And I'm like, yeah, you know, <laughs> you know yeah, I've worked at a bunch of stations and – yeah, I get to know these people. And you're right. My family acts the same way. I can't believe you know Felicia Middlebrooks. And I'm like, yeah, you know, yeah, she's nice. You know, so anyway. <laughs> but uh, all right, as we're – you got a, a couple minutes. Well, I, wanna, I don't want to keep you guys. We got a couple minutes. Sure. Right. Um, so I haven't seen Ragnarok yet. Have you? Yes, and? both of us. It's really fun. Yay. If you like uh, Taika Waititi, then it's a, it's a great time. Mm-hmm. It's like – Kind of like uh, the eighth episode of Star Trek Discovery. I feel like it's maybe two or three movies that they Frankenstein into a single one. Okay. Yeah. Well, clearly, plan- I know uh, certainly Planet Hulk, uh, one of the uh, storylines they've shooed in pretty hard. And I'm glad. Yeah. Um, and it's great. And I really feel like this this movie proved that Planet Hulk could have stood on its own. Interesting. Good to hear. I, you know, yeah, it's I, I kind of agree with Ashley. Like, I really, really liked it. Um, and I think Taika Waititi brings such an interesting flavor to it that makes it it makes it it's very unique among the Marvel movies. Um, I think it's super funny. Uh, the visuals are amazing. Um, there are some times I felt the humor overwhelmed the drama. OK. And there are some pretty heavy moments, especially towards the end, that I think don't land with as much impact as they needed. 
um, because there's a joke immediately after the drama. But overall, I would say um, it's probably my favorite Marvel movie of the year. Very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd agree with that. Wow. Okay. You know, that's cool. Wonder Woman is still won the year for me in terms of comic book movies. It's still one comic. It's still one to beat. Movies. I would agree. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> now. I, I, I certainly think so. Um, and and you know, as we you know, we're less than two weeks away from uh, Justice League. We'll see how that all comes out. Uh, you know, I mean, we've all. I'm sure. You, you see, you guys are much more in the loop on all the the news that comes out. I'm sure because of the collider thing but i gotta be honest i try to stay away from it because i really do want to just enjoy the movie and i and it's so hard to do now uh and i'm pleased I that agree. i was able to stay away from a lot of the ragnarok uh you know post reviews now that it's out and everything and i'm still there's a lot of stuff about ragnarok that's hidden that they did a really good job about hiding Fantastic. and i kind of hope this i kind of hope the same thing as with Me justice too. league because i've done the same way like so once they started releasing like a TV spot every single day, I'm like, I can't watch, I can't watch any of them. Can't do it. That's how I feel about um, uh, Star Wars as well. And I'm really looking forward to The Last Jedi sure. because uh, Luke, Luke Skywalker is my space boyfriend and I'll fight anyone on that. He's so much better than Han Solo ever dreamed of being. Um, but I didn't watch the last trailer that dropped because, look, I'm going to go to the movie. So I, I'd like to enjoy it when it comes out. And um Somebody tweeted at me and told me everything that happened in it. It didn't even give oh, me really? the yes. Oh, like, weren't they the best friends like that you have? 17 seconds after it dropped. Oh. And I was like, bro, you didn't even give me the chance to make a choice about whether I was going to see it or not. I have friends who. Uh, but I think I put more swears in it than that. That's <laughs> No, I have friends who are the same way. And it's like, oh, you didn't see it well. And I'm like, shut up. Stop talking. I don't want to yeah. know. I, I really don't. I want to go and enjoy it for myself. And once I get over this, yeah. world, I certainly intend to do that. So th- I think you'll have a good time. There's a there's a there's a lot of great Walter Simonson little winks and nods in it. Well, that's yeah. fantastic. That's excellent. Uh, no, I'm I'm uh, you know like I said, and to be honest, I liked the Dark World. I know a lot of people who didn't like the second movie, and I'm like I don't understand that. I thought it was fun. I thought it was really a great combination of sci-fi and fantasy. I loved the flying ships that they were in and uh, <laughs> some of the big kind of scope kind of scenes and everything. I don't know. I definitely don't hate it as much as I hate other Marvel movies. Oh, yeah. uh, like I, I can watch it and definitely enjoy it, but I think it is the weakest of the three Thor movies. Yeah, I, you know, I, I love, and I know I, this is a thing I've never said. I've, I've loved the first Thor uh, ever since it came out. It's actually one of my favorite Marvel movies. I would easily put it in my top ten cool. for Marvel movies um, because I remember before that movie came in, came out being so surprised or, or, or thinking that there was no way they could pull it off because it was so complicated and how do you explain this and how do you make it in two hours and I actually thought that Kenneth Branagh made a lot of things very magical like no pun intended yes. and really sold you on that character and that's that's why like it still holds up for me like I'll watch it every couple of years and be like man I still really enjoy this movie agreed I uh, and also isn't it interesting that we can say that because has there been like seventeen Marvel movies something like that now? Oh yeah, there's eighteen. Oh, now? There 18? Yeah. yeah, shame on me. I'm probably forgetting. Obviously, with Ragnarok, now. I'll look it up. But yeah, all of them <laughs> led by straight white guys. No, I know, I know, I know. It's getting better. <laughs> I will never stop saying no, that. But, and, and seriously, I do. Do you? Th- but do you honestly think that it is getting better? Um, I think it's getting better uh, too slowly and too surely. I'm dying for uh, what Black Panther is going to do. I think that trailer is out of this world. 
Uh, but I do feel like it's interesting to me that in uh, the span of what's going to wind up being five or six movies, uh, DC is going to outdo them. Agreed. On uh, the representation front, um, you know, and you could make the argument that those are some of the biggest stars in the world. You can make any argument you want to me, um, but I'll never, I will never forgive them for uh, taking almost twenty movies to make either a person of color or a, a woman uh, the lead of a movie. But that's well, that's that's just me. No, and I, <laughs> I don't disagree with you, but I also know or think that one of the main reasons I shouldn't say I know. I think that uh, – What do you know, John? What do you know? <laughs> I think the thing that everybody else knows that Ike Perlmutter you know, had a very strong voice for a number of years to say, no, these movies are for boys. So I would agree you know, with and that, I think yes. That was, I mean, God, we were all screaming how much we love Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow and it's like, when are we going to get that goddamn movie? How do we well, not have or, a black or at least black, black widow, widow movie? and Hawkeye? Yeah, <laughs> that that that's the craziest thing to me about the Marvel uh, the Marvel films, which most m- most of them I enjoy. I'd say like eighty percent of them. I, I can't believe we don't have a Black Widow movie. It's 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 shocking. Well, to me. again, I yeah. think it's her it's her movie schedule, but also uh, again, I think Ike Perlmutter was a guy just being this brick wall, and that's one of the reasons why when Kevin Feige had the opportunity could go to the guy who in charge of Disney and say, okay, I've made you $7 billion. I want autonomy. Don't you trust me? Yeah, yeah. I want autonomy. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at the balance sheet. You got autonomy. And shut up, uh, I, I, you can continue to you know, make everybody crazy at, at, at the comic book side and the TV side, but uh, Kevin gets to do what he wants. And it is very interesting now, This, uh, as I keep saying this year, if Donald Trump wants help to build a wall, go to Kevin Feige. Because I really think since ah. since he has excised uh, Perlmutter, and unfortunately, the Marvel movie panel of the comic book guys, um, it's it's blatantly obvious. I I love how the Marvel lo- movie, or the Marvel Studio logo, has changed and is now purely hey, look, moments from your favorite movies. Yeah, it's movies. Yeah, it's just movies. I because I, I loved I I love the page flip Absolutely. Marvel logo. I. I wish they would have stayed with it because I always enjoyed catching the comic pages that they would no hide question. in there based on each movie. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And it, yeah, and exactly. And now you're just like, look at script pages. Exactly. Well, that's the thing. It really is almost like a, a fuck you to the to the publishing side of no, we're our own thing. That's okay. That that's what made me cheer when the new DC logo came up because it, to me it looks so much like the Justice League Unlimited opening. Yes. And then when they pull out to that wide shot, like Nightwing's standing in there and like Big Bart and Mr. Miracle is in that lineup. And you're like, whoa, yeah. all the characters we are all dying to see. Agreed. And, and you know, again, though, uh, I am not happy about if it's going to end up on this CW seed or whatever CW or stream, Warner streaming platform that Young Justice is, uh, season three is going to wind up on, that the Titans series is going to wind up on. I, ugh, I again, it's. I imagine we're all going to leapfrog, and you know, when when Discovery's over, we'll we'll cancel our CBS All Access subscription and go to another platform, and then you know, leave that open. I mean, I want I want to see the Stargate prequel show. I don't know if I'd wait for a DVD on that necessarily, especially if they say it's good. Hell, I want to see the Karate Kid um, new show that YouTube is making. I want to see and anything that's good, well, whether sure. it's derivative or not. But but you're making. But like you know, I'd, I personally like I don't care about Karate Kid. But you like, is it good? Great. I I agree. I would love to see content like that. But I think you nailed it. That we're all going to be 
leapfrogging around because, um, you know, a lot of these models are, are hoping that we forget and that we keep paying right. during those two months yeah, when lazy. they're off. Um, yeah. and, and that works for a lot of people, but we all left that cable model because we didn't like it. And doing the same model on the Internet is not going to make things better. Have you guys cut the cord? Oh, yeah. Oh, we, I never had the cord um, since I moved to the States. Yeah, I haven't had cable since probably actually 2007. Wow. Yep. So the Bush cut, administration, cut, that's amazing. I cut I cut it real early. Like the minute I found I found out that I I didn't need it. I I when Netflix became a thing, I was like sayonara. And you see live sports, I have to admit, especially my uh, unfortunately my favorite sport and I know everyone's you, you YouTube is creeping up on that though. They got a lot of good live streams. That's true. <laughs> well, and I'll be honest, uh and again, this is terrible because I think it's only second to bullfighting and cockfighting that that I say this, but I love boxing grew up a boxing kid and it's a shame on me because uh, obviously i think the cte stuff that's in football is going to only be very clearly in boxing as well uh but all that said i I still do like good boxing and uh, it's funny you mentioned youtube because sometimes i've not gotten a pay-per-view because i'm working that same night in radio and i'm like no then in that case i'll just find out what happened i don't need to see it live but then i'll wind up looking and i'll find illegal streams on youtube of like oh here's a russian feed of that uh, great heavyweight fight and stuff and it's like all right i can watch that that's fine oh but they they have some great legit stuff like uh youtube simul streamed all of the world series mm-hmm. oh you see i didn't realize so, that there you go yeah i think they're i think youtube they'll probably have to shell out a lot of money for it but i think they're gonna come up and take – I think they're going to win that fight. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, as opposed to like Sling or something like that, you think? I do. Uh, personal. I just think it's a bigger brand and I think Everybody it's, knows that's it's less of a hassle to convince people to go to YouTube. That like, I don't know what Sling is. Well, so. that's true. And also, frankly, it's funny. I was talking to a buddy who lives in Washington, D.C., and we were talking about how you know Sling's kind of lying when they call it a la carte TV because it's not like, okay, I can get 20 channels. Well, let me pick from the – 200 cable channels that you offer and pick 20. Uh-huh. They're still cable-like packages. And it's like, well, that's not really a la carte TV. That's just a different streaming thing. That's nice that you've got all these channels. But I would say maybe I don't like all 20 of the channels you're offering me at $25 a month. And then they've got their different tiers. So it's interesting. The one thing about YouTube, though, is we're all used to free YouTube. And I'm, I'm interested to see what they possibly will pull down. Once I, I don't think I don't think you're incorrect in that question. <laughs> you know, yeah, no, it's a, it really, I, I, you know, I don't claim to have the answers, and I, and honestly, I think it's an interesting discussion. And where do we get that oversaturation point with all the streaming stuff? So, I, I, oh, I think I think we're at it. <laughs> yeah, I, I do too, because it, this was the year, uh, weirdly, and I, I don't know, John, because. You know, and I'm not calling you old, no, John. Right, I'm just Bob. saying, you know, you, you you have some, you you have more notches on your belt <laughs> no, than I do. No question, it's uh, all right. More, more, more marks on the uh, the doorway. Um, <laughs> um, what's the good analogy for that? Uh, but anyways, um, this was the year where I really realized that there is no way I see every movie, watch every TV show, and read every oh, book. Yeah. It's just it's too much. It's too much, and I and I'm and I will die before I see it all. Agreed. Or read no, it. No, and I and I'm like that too. Have you have you talked to Rob about this as well? Oh, a little bit, a little bit, but it's because yeah. it kind of came up when Rob and I were talking in one of our first conversations as well. And Rob's slightly younger than me, uh, but yeah, it's no, you're 100 percent right about that. And uh, God, there, I'm shame on me. I mean, I've got every episode of The Gifted sitting on my DVR, haven't sat down to watch it yet. 
Uh, fi- I haven't seen a single episode of that either. Watched, I did finally watch Legion from FX, and that was amazing. That's great. That was amazing. Let me ask you this, my friend, because I am one episode behind on the Orville. I was hoping we'd get but, back to the Orville, please. Oh, man. I'll tell you what. I am loving it. I am I am now so happy. I finished the episode, and I'm so happy. I think they found the right balance, the right tone, and it's so weird. I was saying this to Ashley. I was like, when I end the, every episode of the Orville, I'm just like, damn it. That is Star yep. Trek. 100%. Well, and, and I want to hear, Ash, I want to hear your, your views on the Orville. Um, the last episode they showed with Penny Johnson and her kids, it bothered me in that classic Next Generation way in terms of, and in fact, the original series, I felt the same way. I hate the kid episodes. Deep Space Nine is the only show oh, yeah. when it was about Jake and That's Nog what, that I'm like, all right, I'm yeah. cool with Jake and Nog. That's her. And Stembolts. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Self-feeling Stembolts. And the Willie yeah. Willy Mays card. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. I like that episode though. I like the William Mays card, but yeah, the kids one is the one that I haven't seen. I saw the trailer for that, it, uh, but the last one I saw was the one where they went to the planet and it was all about Facebook yes, likes, where you I like you that. vote the person up or vote the person down. Hilarious. And even though, even though that's an idea that Black Mirror did better. Great. Um, you know, I, I still was like, okay, I I get it, and that's really cool. And also, I'm really digging how Orville is pulling in old Star Trek actors because they pulled in. I believe his name is Stephen Culp. Right. He was the old Mako general. That's right. And yeah, yeah, on the cutting room floor of Nemesis, Riker's replacement yeah. first officer, or the Picard's replacement first officer for Riker when he uh, gets his own ship. That is correct. Do you remember the advice that Riker tells him? That uh, Picard was uh, informal. You can call him John Luke. It's no big deal. Yeah, call him John Luke. Oh, <laughs> man, you fucking nerds. <laughs> well, you know, honestly, Ash, um, I, uh, Nemesis was for a long time a very frustrating movie, especially coming after Insurrection. Because Okay, it was the first Star Trek movie I ever saw. It has a very special place I in my to- heart. And I can, that's cool. But I, <laughs> it's not great, though. <laughs> are you saying Nemesis or Insurrection was the first? Nemesis okay. was the first one. My mommy rented it for me from oh the library. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, uh, well, first of all, Insurrection. I came out of that going, oh man, this would have been a fine Next Generation episode, but for this to be the movie, and now I got to wait at least two years for the next movie, I'm not happy. And I'm like, it was okay, but I'm going to take a glass of water for a second. I'm not happy. Nemesis. <laughs> Stuart Baird was the director, and sadly, I do know his name because yep. I hold him in high contempt. He's a fine film editor and got graduated to a director, as a lot of film editors do. And his two big movies were, and I know he did a couple more, but were U.S. Marshals, the Fugitive sequel with Wesley Snipes. And Robert Downey Jr. I forgot about Downey Jr. being in that nice guy. He's, he's the fugitive in that. No, no. Uh, no, he's the agent with uh, U.S. Marshal with Tommy Lee Jones and Wesley Snipes is the Totally fugitive. forgot. Yes, That's Snipes right. is the fugitive. Exactly. Uh, totally forgot that uh, Junior's uh, with um, what's his face, uh, but that's hilarious. And then Nemesis, and Nemesis all throughout the commentary, Baird would go, "Yeah, we had another piece here, but you know, we just didn't need it. We just didn't need it." And he cut uh, part of the wedding between Riker and Troy, where Wesley at least gets a you know his moment and stuff. That's on the cutting room floor. A better explanation of the divide between the Romulans and the Remans. He left that out. We just didn't need it. And I'm convinced that it was in his mind, because it might have been the old television model mind, to make a film that would fit, a 140-minute film that would fit in a two-hour block, 
especially with commercials, and it would be easier and stuff, rather than I'm going to tell a good story. And that ending of Nemesis is uh, – have you seen the alternate ending, Ash? Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, the I think the alternate ending is 100 times better. It leaves us in a much happier place than – the callback to uh, Data singing Blue Skies and everything, and we're still and and again to kill Data, Ugh. so and to kill yeah, Trip. It, yeah, R- yeah. Remind me, remi- <laughs> r- remind me what the alternate ending well, is. That's I completely where, forgot. That's where you have all the Stephen Culp stuff. And you, yeah. And, and, oh and, yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, they uh, they sh- they've <laughs> they've changed the command chair, and now it has like a million like seatbelts. And maybe that's still in the the final version. I can't remember. I don't think it is. It, it's not. It's and not. Yeah, that and you know where where the hell has this been? That that's certainly better. <laughs> well, you know the interesting thing is is that. Um, Ashley and I have had this conversation several times because we're sort of making our way through the next generation okay. right now. And one of the things that the early seasons of the next generation sets up is they set up a lot of uh, I, I want to call them dangling participles, but that's not correct. They set up these a lot of, a lot of little pieces of character nuggets for all of their characters. Gene Roddenberry actually does this. Like you kind of get the sensation where you're watching the pilot that. TNG is supposed to have this ongoing storyline about the romance between Troy and Riker. And once they hit season two, they completely drop it. But in my head, I've always felt that in all good things, we probably – that's where the wedding of Riker and Troy should have been. Oh, man. We talk about this all the time. (laughs) Because I I think that would just be a more natural conclusion. Like I love all good things and I think it's an amazing TNG episode. But – Riker and Troy's wedding is so out of place in Nemesis and doesn't fit in Nemesis, and it doesn't give you any kind of a payoff. Also, the Troy Wharf stuff is just the worst. Well, yeah, and the Troy Wharf stuff is all the worst. Yeah, about the Troy Wharf stuff, and in fact, I think we talked about this before, Jace. The fifty-year mission books, the oral history, those are great books. Incredible. Yeah, and I, I you, even the actors are like, what? <laughs> okay, I guess. But I do think that well, the Tom Riker episode, I think, was a good callback to the relationship and showed you that there was still love there and everything uh, between Deanna and, and, and Will Riker, you know, you know which one I'm talking about? The, uh, when, uh, when, no. uh, when they split, when, when uh, there's the transporter beam, well, they, they oh, go back you, to the planet oh, and the, they find young, you know, Lieutenant yeah, Riker. Yeah. Thomas yes. Riker. Yeah. 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 Okay. So yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I, can... I think that's there. And I also think anytime Deanna would have like a little romance or something like there was the, the other, uh, wasn't he another uh, beta said? There was a there was a there was an episode where they're negotiating mm-hmm. some deal. There was another Beta Z. There, almost all of Troy's episodes are about her like having somebody that's not as good as or Riker. her getting attacked and kidnapped. Yes, yeah, I know. And and seriously, yeah, that whole thing in Nemesis, ye, you know, <laughs> icky, icky, totally. It's a shame because Tom Hardy really was an excellent villain, and it's so amazing. How? Oh, dude, his his audition tape for that, where he's like visibly trembling, reading with Patrick Stewart, it. is out of this Ooh, world. I'm gonna have to oh, see that. that go, sounds great. Go, go to, oh, it's on YouTube. Go to YouTube right now <laughs> and type in Tom Hardy screen test for Star Trek Nemesis. You'll see that not only is it Tom Hardy screen testing against Patrick Stewart, but they are like sitting in a section of the Star Trek Enterprise set for the screen oh, test. Oh, cool. Oh, my God. Well, that's good. All right. When we're done, I'm going to absolutely watch that. That's fantastic. Um, <laughs> all right, Ash, what's your favorite? Because uh, I know I've asked Jason this before. What's, what's your, what is your favorite uh, finale of all the Star Treks? Oh, that's so tough. Uh, what's the episode before the final episode of oh, Enterprise? Good. Terra Nova. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, the real finale. Um, because I'm sorry to anyone who might have been involved in it who's listening, but that uh, official finale um, sucks. Yeah. And um, where the, I think, even though I do think that show was cut off too soon, I like that it ends on a personal emotional note, but you can see that it really is driving towards the future. That's going to include Kirk. Uh, and it's the one that gets me the most. I think there's maybe better executed episodes, but that's the one that I always, that always comes to mind right that's away. Cool. Mine is uh, mine so, is Voyager. unofficially. Mine's Voyager. And JC, feel free. What's, what's yours again? Oh, mine is easily uh, um, who we leave behind. Uh, D- Deep Space Nine. Or what you yeah, leave behind, yeah. excuse me. Yeah, the Deep Space yep, Nine. Yep, yep. Yeah. But I will say that All Good Things is a very close second because I think it's – All Good Things I almost think is almost one of the perfect first episodes to show somebody of TNG. I'll say this about Star Trek. Um, they can really do series finales. They can't really do series pilots as well. Agreed. No, I <laughs> first series oh. – first season's uh, typically But i got to say I liked Broken Bow. The the Enterprise uh, pilot, and in fact, that's that's a great and again. Pilot. That's why Discovery infuriated me so much. We don't know about the. It's been a hundred years. I'm like, fuck you. We had Klingons on Earth. You, can, I'm like, I don't yeah. buy that. I don't buy that. All of a sudden, we forgot what how Klingons act and what they're like. I'm like, I don't. I'm like, when Jonathan Archer was done, I'm sure he sat down at Starfleet and was fully debriefed about. All right, tell us everything that happened with the Klingons because that's how all this shit started in the first place. And it's like there's too much first contact with the Klingons to be that stupid and again trip into this conflict. And uh, you know, yeah, I so <laughs> as a callback to 20 minutes ago or 40 minutes ago. Yeah, there you go. I, I want to try and say that I think Voyager has a really uh, maybe the best pilot. I like Voyager's pilot. It was okay. And then really I thought Deep Space Nine's pilot was good. And it, Deep Space Nine it's you can uh, there's a there's a, that's another first season that's kind of clunky but so many seeds are planted that do pay off by by the end of the series and everything so absolutely yeah see I'm I'm with you my my favorite pilot's Broken Bow yeah I can appreciate that I I I know I told you before Jason that yeah I met Tiny Lister in Vegas a couple times and uh, the guy who played uh, the giant Klingon and everything and I. Oh, K- Kurg or Klang? Yeah, Klang. Klang. Exactly. Nice. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Krang, right? Krang. I had, I had his action <laughs> And again, uh, just another knock on Discovery as we wrap up. Um, as they shove too much stuff in these eight episodes, I, watching your guys' Collider show, uh, Call, or whatever, however you say his name, Cole, the, the lead arrogant Klingon, who again seems to yeah, be arrogant Cole. for no other reason other than I want to be the big guy. Uh, it, it's very mob-like, but uh, I, I had forgotten that he is from the House of Kor because initially I thought it was their you know new made-up redesigned Kor versus it being another character. And it's there's just too many confusing things. I, I think people will likely, in some cases, use the break to go back and watch some of these episodes over again. I'm also going to use the time to read David Mack's Discovery novel, which... You know, I love ancillary things like comic books and novels. I'm sure you guys do as well. But I am I uber nerdish when I'm like, no, unless the powers that be say this is canon, it's not. And and it's interesting that the Mac, the David Mac book is like they're saying, no, that's canon. And apparently, uh, same with the IDW series that's coming up. 
Yeah, I, yeah. I'm excited to read the IDW series because I found over the years that the Star Trek comics are better than the Star Trek books. Ooh, but David Mack's a great a great author. I've read a review of that series, and the most common complaint I've heard about it is that it is basically an explanation for why their uniforms are different. Hilarious, David Mack's book. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm talking to Sarah uh, tomorrow as we're recording this. Sergato. Oh, she's awesome. Say hi. I, I will tell her that. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I, she's been on before with Mike Johnson, and this is our first solo talk. And I, I touch base with her in New York. And uh, yeah, she'll get an earful. And of course, Word Balloon listeners will as well. But, uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm glad we're having this talk, and I appreciate you guys coming on. I, uh, I'm sorry that it isn't uh, that it's the week before uh, the, the midpoint. And like you said, it would have been very weird if they ended on that eighth episode, much as. The first episode that they gave on the CBS network, I mean, God, I was all over the place screaming about, man, if I, if, if I didn't, if I wasn't a set fan of Star Trek and that's all I got, I wouldn't have watched, uh, I wouldn't have picked up All Access because it's not enough. Exactly. I agree. I, I don't think it was enough at all. Maybe the first two episodes, but again, I feel like that pilot was a bad choice of pulling people in, especially since it's all a prologue. I yeah. did think, though, it did work. Like, watching the first two episodes, I'm like, okay, we know enough about Burnham. Do we want to follow this character or not? And it's interesting because I also think there are flaws in Burnham's character, as you guys have discussed. And I'm going to let listeners, obviously, check out <laughs> your reviews uh, because – they're absolutely worth it on Collider's YouTube channel uh, to to uh, get their point of view on this and also Rob's point of view. But, uh, I, yeah, I, I, as, I, as I see the clock on the wall, it, we're at 90 minutes, and I didn't mean to keep you this long, guys. But No, we just have to come up with – got now got to come up with a name uh, because I, I got to say, as a fan, oh, I know you have, t- like, the Bentis tape. you guys check in, and we, be my plan. Yeah, we got we to gotta come up with, like, what, what would be, like, the Star Trek uh, – um, uh, it should be the away team, the ready room, uh, the right way team, or you know, ten or or, 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 the, or the defiant, the subspace transmissions, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the subspace tapes. Yeah. That's hilarious. That's very fun. <laughs> tapes uh, coming in the next couple of weeks. Oh, I so. love them. I love them. I love. I love the recurring ones. So I like. I, well, yeah, we got to figure that out. It's got. We know it's got to be something Star well, Trek. And, yeah, uh, we can leave it up to the word balloon listeners if you guys can come up with an interesting thing. I we uh, I believe the King's speech is now the Tom King. Uh, a uh, recurring uh, oh, nice. podcast. Oh, I like that. That's of awesome. Of course. So, yeah, no way. Uh, by the way, uh, since our last conversation, because um, uh, Tom is a, 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 a good friend of both yes, of ours, all three um, of he said that when you and I last talked Star Trek Discovery, he was like screaming at his car because he wanted to talk to us. <laughs> <laughs> we might have to loop him in. The Benson sisters, Julie and Shauna, want to play uh, S- uh, Trivial uh, Pursuit screen, uh, Silver Screen with Tom and I. And I'm like, let's make it happen. So hopefully that'll happen and stuff. We should try and uh, shoehorn Tom in and then do a foursome. That would be great. Uh, no, yeah. I'd be down I anytime. Figured, and I know, obviously, again, well, Tom was the catalyst of us all meeting. So I'm, I, I would be, it would be fitting for him to be on with us sometime. So if you don't like this episode, it's Tom King's exactly. fault. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Guys, thank, <laughs> Blame thanks it. for coming on. <laughs> Why don't you tell people where they can find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ashley V. Robinson. You can also find me all over Jason's social media, so I'll let him tell you about that. Um, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at uh, Jawin. That's J-A-W-I-I-N. It's the first two letters of all three of my names, uh, Jason William Inman. And um, 
you'll see my face on DCL Access. And as a very final, you know, if you like any of our story ideas or our bland ramblings, uh, Jupiter Jet issue number one comes out December 6th, and the final word cutoff is February 13th. So go November 13th. November 13th. Definitely not February yes. Oh, that's too late. 13th, indeed. Yep. Don't fly past the final order cutoff. Very yeah. cute. Did I, did I save it with a jetpack? Yeah, thing? that was good. I All right, cool. It. So there you go. Uh, we put a lot of work into it. We're really proud of it, and we and hope you like excellent. it. And it's excellent, I, and I wholly recommend it. And uh, next time when we talk, because I know Jason's already gotten a taste of it, Doomsday Clock, DC Watchmen, oh, yeah. the, the uh, collision mm-hmm. and everything. I'm, I'm excited, and uh, I know it's in safe hands, but we'll, we'll save that conversation for another day. Thanks for coming on, guys. Uh, it's really good. No, thank you. It's such an honor. I love it every time we get to talk. Star yeah, Trek. thank you so much. I'm so glad we finally got to do this. See, nice fun nerding out uh, discussion with Jason Inman, Ashley Robinson, talking uh, Jupiter Jet and Star Trek on today's Word Balloon. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, don't forget, uh, Word Balloon is brought to you today by InStockTrades.com. If your orders are $50 or more, you'll receive free shipping. Just check out the website. You're going to find great books at great prices at InStockTrades.com. Word Balloon is also brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, League, for your support. If you want to subscribe to Word Balloon, go to Patreon.com slash Word Balloon or WordBalloon.com right on the front page. Click on the Patreon ad. Hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you're enjoying our uh, new uh, home at Blog uh, Talk Radio and uh, checking out some of the other great podcasts over there. Uh, I'm happy to be part of the network. Um, If you have questions or comments about the show, reach me via email, john at wordballoon.com. The good news is there are lots more Word Balloon episodes coming in the days ahead. Um, Certainly with uh, the Bendis news, uh, I've already had a lot of uh, episodes uh, bookmarked, so we want to get those up and to you as quickly as possible and pave the way for the new Bendis tapes where uh, Brian and I will uh, talk about the new DC deal, We've uh, been uh, conversing via text, and, uh, you know, it's uh, just a matter of uh, getting everything ready on his end. And you might see him, obviously, talking to some other major uh, news outlets before the Bendis tapes happen. That's usual. It's cool. It's fine. You know, DC sets this stuff up. Marvel does as well. They want to talk to USA Today and CNN and some of the other uh, major uh, traditional mainstream news blogs, and obviously also uh, some other big uh, news blogs. That's cool. That's fine. They can be first. You know you're going to get the in-depth stuff, though, here at Word Balloon. And, uh, you know, all I can tell you is Brian's like, we're going to have an epic podcast. Those are his words. I trust him. And uh, I look forward to that conversation. Like I said, it couldn't have happened at a better time. I really think that uh, the time is right for Brian to move on to the DC Universe and have new challenges with a whole new bunch of characters. Uh, 17 years is a long time, and I think he's said a lot uh, for uh, all the major Marvel characters and the minor ones that he loves as much as he does. Significant runs on so many great books and so many uh, great events that uh, let's see him uh, do the same thing at DC. Why not? I know he's re-energized. I can tell uh, from the tone of his texts and the playfulness in his voice. I think it's, uh, it's a good time, so I'm looking forward to it, and you will be along for the adventure as we tune into the upcoming new Bendis tapes right here on Word Balloon. Join me then, but uh, more great episodes coming up, great conversations about, uh, you know, there's always a full comic book rack. And uh, enjoy your uh, new comic book day today on Wednesday. Sorry I didn't put this out Tuesday afternoon. I'm still fighting a cold and uh, just trying to get well. And uh, so uh, sometimes I get tired before uh, putting out these episodes. 
But uh, gave you two ones today. Bill Schweigert and my thoughts on the Bendis move are on the other episode that posted today. Bill is a great author, uh, a guy who has a Coast Guard background and uh, has written three novels, a, a great trilogy. We talk about that and his upcoming uh, new book very soon, inspired by thoughts that he had uh, for S.H.I.E.L.D., should he ever get a Marvel uh, pitch. But he uh, made it his own thing instead and has started a new series of novels. And uh, he gives us a tease of that as well. So uh, you can hear Bill Schweigert and my Bendis thoughts on uh, the other episode that dropped today here at Word Balloon. Until next time, thanks for listening. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2017. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.